The Big Wake Up by Mark Coggins is what you hope every private eye novel will be, says Edgar Award-winning author Megan Abbott. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 4. Cimiterio de la Ricoleta. The funeral director's office was big, cold, and gothic-looking, and didn't exactly convey a feeling of sympathy or desire to help you through troubled times. The ceiling was vaulted, with massive oak beams running beneath it, and light came from a single lancet window and a couple of heavy plaster wall sconces you could have fried turkeys in. Melina Riviero's heels clicked across the stone floor as she led me to the corner of the room, where a bald man with a Jimmy Durante nose and large square-rimmed glasses waited behind a carved desk. To his left was a younger version of the same model, including the eggplant-shaped schnoz, but with more iron-gray hair remaining on top of his head. Given Melina and Araceli's appearance, I decided Mrs. Riviero had to be a real looker because Dad was watering down the handsome jeans something fierce. Both men stood, barrel-chested and stolid, and Melina introduced us. Senior was named Ronaldo and compensated for his plain looks with a grip like a crimping tool. Junior was named Orlando and reached across with his left to give me a backhanded shake. As I sat down, I noticed his right arm hung limp at his side. There was only one other chair by the desk, and Riviero Sr. made it clear it would just be us boys talking when he said, Melina, I expect you are needed in the chapel. She said, Yes, Father. And pausing only to give my bicep a reassuring squeeze, turned and walked out. Riviero didn't waste any time. Tell me how you knew Araceli he said after he nodded me into the remaining chair. His speech was clipped and precise, and like everyone else I'd met in the family, carried a trace of that not-quite-familiar Latin accent. Melina asked about that, too. We didn't know each other. We had just met at the laundromat. I don't understand that. She had no need to wash her clothes in a public laundry, especially her intimate clothing. It seems to me that could only invite unwanted attention. I couldn't stop myself from thinking about Araceli's big stack of panties in our exchange about souvenirs. I licked my lips and hoped I didn't look like a complete pervert. I wouldn't know about that. Then why did you do it? Why did I do what? Why did you risk your life to stop the gunman? I shifted in my chair. I'd been off-balance and uncomfortable since I walked into the funeral parlor, playing a part I didn't believe, but not wanting to offend or show disrespect. I was done with all that now. I did it for the reward, I said snidely. Riviero nodded like he expected it. What sort of reward? The reward of hearing the grateful family members thank me. That was why you wanted to see me, wasn't it? Orlando surprised me by chuckling darkly. El tiene razón, he said to Pops, which I knew meant something like, he's got you there. 
Riviero ducked his head in my direction to acknowledge the point. I'm sorry, Mr. Reardon. Don't misunderstand me. We are actually very grateful. But if I may speak bluntly, my experience in the world has taught me to look for self-interest or the commercial motive before the altruistic one. That's okay. But while we're celebrating blunt talk and plain spokenness, maybe you can tell me why you aren't participating in the vigil. I expected the family to be front and center, and I didn't see any of you when I walked in. Riviero seemed to miss the object of my question. But did you see Araceli? Isn't she beautiful? Yes, I allowed. She is. And then, because he seemed to expect something more, the funeral parlor did an excellent job. That lit a match under him. The funeral parlor? I wouldn't let any of those hacks near her. We brought our own man from Buenos Aires, Dr. Serrano. He is an artist. Discussing embalmers as artists was the last thing I expected to be doing, and my face must have shown it. Riviero held up his hand. You asked why we are not at the vigil. There is a reason. You may not think it's sufficient, but while we are being honest with one another, I will tell you. Araceli was estranged from the family. She is technically my stepdaughter, the youngest daughter of my second wife, Inez. Inez had Melina and Araceli with her first husband. I adopted both daughters when we married, but after Inez died, Araceli rebelled and grew away from us. She moved to the U.S. to go to college and then decided to stay to get a graduate degree in pharmacology, as if someone of her background could really spend her life dispensing little pills from behind a window. That explained the lack of family resemblance in the girls, and it also explained something else that had been bothering me. Since I'd been sitting across from them, I realized Riviero Sr. had to be over 70, and Orlando in his 50s. Those ages didn't fit well with daughters and sisters who were still in their 20s. I swung one leg over my knee and picked at the cuff of my trousers. I was tempted to argue with Riviero about his characterization of pharmacology as a career, just for form's sake, but I realized I didn't want to prolong the conversation any longer than necessary. Their big job offer was bound to be something about ensuring Finnegan was prosecuted to the maximum extent of the law, and I was sure I wasn't interested. Orlando seemed to be following my thoughts. He had been watching me with an intent expression, and now he said, Did Melina mention that we wanted to hire you? She did, but... But you're worried that we're after some kind of vigilante justice for Araceli. I wasn't worried that you'd hire me to kill him. The idea that you'd want me to gather more evidence against him crossed my mind. But that's a non-starter. The cops have him dead to rights. The only thing that could possibly save him is some sort of insanity plea. Even then, he's going to spend the rest of his life in San Quentin with no legs. That may be worse than dying. Father and son exchanged looks, and Orlando said, We agree. You do? Yes, we do. Araceli's death was a terrible tragedy, but we're content to let American justice take its course. And what we want to hire you for, continued Riviero, is something completely unrelated. We had been planning to come to the U.S. next month to find someone qualified for the task, but unhappily, we had to make the trip sooner. All right. I'll bite. What is it? 
Riviero set forward in his seat, and his voice took on a passion I hadn't heard before. I'm getting old, Mr. Riordan. I'm 77, and I'm starting to plan for my own death. Part of that planning has involved the construction of a family mausoleum at the Cementerio de la Recoleta in Buenos Aires. We will ship Araceli's body there after the Requiem Mass. I will be buried there, and I want the bodies of my parents and my sister to be moved there. Must be a big place. It is. It's the custom in Argentina for influential families to build crypts with multiple levels to accommodate many generations. My father was not in the position to build a proper one before the time of his death. But I have been more successful, and now I want to make up for the lack. Okay, but I still don't see what this has to do with me. My parents are already buried at La Recoleta, so it will be a simple matter to disinter their coffins and move them to the mausoleum. The same, unfortunately, cannot be said for the body of my sister, Maria. She, like Araceli, was estranged from the family. She married young to an American of Italian descent and moved to Milan to live with him. Sadly, she got cancer and died in her early thirties. The husband, Bruno de Magistri, believed that he was honoring her wishes by keeping the news of her death away from us, so we did not learn of it for many years. When we finally heard of it through a childhood friend of Maria's, Orlando and I went to Milan to confront the magistris and find Maria's grave. We were too late. We could find no trace of either of them. Eventually, we learned that the magistris had moved back to the U.S., and although Maria had been buried for years in a cemetery in Milan, he took her body with him. To which city exactly, we do not know. Why in the world did he move her? Perhaps his motive was the same as my father's, said Orlando. He shrugged as he spoke, and I noticed again how lifeless his right arm was. Perhaps he too wanted his family to be buried together in the same place. But we know they had no children, and that he was remarried within a year. We frankly think he did it to spite us. Nice guy. Yes, said Riviero. What we finally uncovered, only within this last year, was a record of the casket being shipped to the port of Oakland. The shipment took place in 1974, but we don't know anything after that. Our assumption is that she was buried in a Bay Area cemetery, but given the history, it's unlikely that she was buried under her own name. And all you want me to do is... Locate her coffin so we can take her back with us to Argentina. I felt a sudden throb of pain behind the eyeballs and brought a hand up to squeeze my temples. I was afraid you were going to say that. You have been listening to The Big Wake Up, a book Publishers Weekly described as outstanding in a starred review. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. <laughs>